Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For, for Chemist, Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. With Rob Gilbert back on the bench, you're with Willem van Denderen and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news shortly, and of course throughout the show, we'll be joined by our former ITN journal turned pundit, Derek Dyson. As Western United headed into their semi-final second leg against Melbourne victory, a goal down, it would have been offered long odds by the bookmakers for them to overturn the tie so emphatically. But that's exactly what they did to put themselves into this week's grand final. We'll be joined by the man who scored the sealer for John Aloisi's side, Dylan Wenzel-Halls. Following that, we'll have all the latest on the form of our Socceroos and Matildas at club level as Aidan Rustic and Ali Carpenter lifted European silverware this week. Moving forward, attention now turns, of course, to the Socceroos do-or-die playoffs, which loom next month. Internationally, the big story this week was the final day of the Premier League, which saw Manchester City seal their fourth title in five years with a blistering five-minute burst. We'll be joined by none other than the voice of football, Mr Martin Tyler, to wrap the final day and to put City's achievements under Pep Guardiola into historical perspective. Derek, of course, will join us to wrap it all up with stoppage time. There's always plenty to get through at the back end of the show. As I welcome in Michael Edgley. Michael, how are you, my friend, and where do we find you this week? Uh, I'm in Bangkok in Thailand on my way to Doha, Qatar for the Socceroos important uh, AFC and FIFA intercontinental playoffs. Uh, that's a mouthful at any stage. But off the bat, Willem, I just want to acknowledge how good was the A-League All-Stars versus Barcelona this week. It was officially sensational. It had me on the edge of my seat. So many wonderful moments, uh, uh, a really great spectacle and just proof uh, probably that the A-League product um, is, uh, is is on the field is maybe better than some people think and um, just how good were some of our younger players who got the opportunity to um, apply their tricks and trade and, um, and and just what a fantastic experience and what a brilliant television product it was too. All the debate and the discussion on the merit of this game before it actually started, Michael, was enough to make your head explode or certainly for me enough to maybe put my phone away and just get off Twitter because it was just painful, really, all the back and forth, the Euro snobs, should you be enjoying this? Should you know we be talking about the grand final? But once the game actually started, it was awesome. Uh, Barca did win in the end 3-2, but Reno Piscopo, Jay O'Shea and Garan Cole, Michael, I thought they were the uh, the pick of the A-League boys and in a very satisfying occurrence, both Adama Traore's found themselves on the score sheet. Highlight of the night, though, had to be an effort that actually didn't quite find the net. Let's have a listen. The youngster accelerates. Quall still going. The chance for Garen Quall. Chips it over. Oh, and he's put it just wide. What a chance for the youngster. Well, he just kept going and going like an energizer bunny. They couldn't stop him. The bodies were going in, crashing into each other, and he came to the final touch. And it just shaves the outside of the post. So Garen Quall there, Michael, he's not going to be hanging around the A-League for too long. He's only 17, so let's hope he has another full season at least with the Mariners. But uh, he will be following his brother abroad pretty quickly, you'd think. Yeah, look, he's a talent. There's no doubt about it. I saw Michael Zappone's little chat with Zubby um, after the game. Uh, and Zubby said to him, he's, I don't believe he's only uh, 17. It's not possible, you know. So uh, it was a great little uh, insight into uh, just what is possible when... Uh, young talent has has given an, an opportunity. I'm glad you mentioned uh, Rene Piscopo, who's leaving Wellington Phoenix for a new A-League club, um, I understand. Uh, we'll be interested to see where he pops up. But um, uh, in my role, uh, having uh, attended a lot of the um, uh, international junior uh, underage tournaments, Rene Piscopo has been a standout 
uh, in the especially in the under twenty um, young Socceroos program when he was in that a couple of years ago. He really, he really, really was. So uh, there is no doubt that uh, he's got goods to uh, make it uh, out of Australia as well. And uh, I thought he was sensational. But Garen Quoll just uh, continues to excite. He he dazzled. Uh, he's he's sharp. He's got pace. He's uh, he's got that uh, little bit of magic dust that strikers have when. They're in the right place at the right time. And uh, I'm just uh, so excited about what's ahead for him. He's got the same bloody-mindedness as well as his brother when he's bearing down on goal. He gets the blinkers on and there's really only one thing that's going to it's gonna stop him and it's going to be the ball hitting the back of the net. He was yeah very unfortunate not to add one uh, last night. The other highlight I thought, Michael, and if there's more of this to come, we can be very excited, was the get-up of Dwight York on the touchline. Yeah, Dwight was uh, loving it, wasn't he? he, he, well, he looked How good did he look in that suit? No, he looked, a bit, he looked brilliant, oh. but... I was really enjoying the cutaways to him as uh, the young A-League All-Stars were turning it on and, um, you know, scoring goals and creating chances. He was loving it. It was like he was sitting in the grandstand. He was getting caught in all of the emotion of it. So well done to Dwight. And and I must say to the uh, APL, if this is the standard of product they're going to set out for some of these major events they're chasing and going to put on, well done to them. I look forward to what's next. What is next is Melbourne City and Western United in the A-League Grand Final this Saturday at Amy Park. Patrick is Norvo's side, you'd have to say, will head in uh, as favourites to lift a second consecutive championship. But you wouldn't rule Western United out, uh, Michael. They overturned a first league deficit of a goal to beat Melbourne Victory 4-2 on aggregate. And they won't mind being the underdog. They've been the king of the 1-0 throughout this season. But yeah, I thought it was really impressive the way that they needed goals and they found them. We're going to have a chat to Dylan Windsor Halls uh, a little bit later on. But I actually think this might be one where the underdog gets up. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I still think City are favourites uh, just based on uh, their form throughout the season. And uh, I thought they were very impressive in the Asian Champions League Group 2, despite you know missing out by a goal difference um, to go through to the next round. I thought they were very impressive. Um, I, I do um, think it's going to be a fantastic event, and let's hope um, all a lot of neutrals get out there and enjoy the occasion, and we get a good crowd, and it's a great television product and does all the things that it needs to do to help promote uh, the game. But to Western United specifically, I mean, we've, um, uh, we've been critical of them off the field, haven't we, in terms of um, progress around stadium and so forth, and in particular, uh, just their their presence in the league. But what you cannot be critical of is the way that John Aloisi and uh, the club has gone about assembling that team. They've been competitive now really since the get-go, and they probably deserve their moment in the, in the, in the uh, spotlight this Saturday. So uh, good luck to Western United, and, uh, and congratulations. It's been a Remarkable achievement because John Alessi was right when he spoke to the players after the game. There was very few people outside the inner sanctum of Western United thought that they could go all the way to the grand final. And I don't think many around box to box thought they'd go over the top of Melbourne victory. And they did. So you'd have to give them um, as good a chance as Melbourne City uh, in this two horse race grand final on the weekend. 15,000 tickets sold was a report as of Wednesday afternoon. So let's hope that that final 15,000 can get moved uh, in the days leading up to the match. Looking ahead to next season, Michael, Sydney FC have appointed longtime board member Adam Santo as its new CEO, paving the way, of course, for APL boss Danny Townsend to finally cut ties with the club. Santo's held previous positions at Sydney FC over the past nine years, including Chief Financial Officer and Company Secretary, and was the acting CEO for a six-month stint in 2017. He's going to commence his role immediately, which all looks well and good. Michael, he looks like the ideal candidate, understands the club, has held uh, a variety of, of guises there, but that makes me wonder why it wasn't done sooner and why we had Danny Townsend uh, with the conflict of interest across the two roles. Yes, that's right. There's been a lot of people in and around the APL and A-League that have had raised eyebrows that Danny had a, 
ongoing role at Sydney FC for so long. Um, I think this is uh, long overdue. Adam's been at that club in various capacities for a long, long time. It's a, a clear succession. So we wish him all the best. And, and we do wish Danny all the best now that he can focus fully on the APL and the development of the league generally, because it is a Herculean task and a very important one. There's many, many, many issues and uh, activities and um, events and, uh, and strategies to develop. So, uh, good luck to both those gentlemen in their new roles. And it's not a personal attack on Danny. He seems thoroughly decent and thoroughly committed in all the dealings that we've had with him on this program and outside. Uh, but yeah, when you have situations like Sydney FC uh, getting fined and punished for not fulfilling the under-23 requirements, uh, and then you've got someone across the two roles, it, it is absolutely a conflict of interest. So it's been a disappointing season in that in that regard. And it does make me scratch my head why Santo wasn't put in place earlier if the, the perfect candidate was there. But Let's put that behind us now and we can cut the cord and, yeah, look forward to a, a brighter future uh, at the APL with Danny at the helm. Moving to Europe, Michael, Ali Carpenter and Aidan Rustic become the first Aussies to win European finals since 2005. Leon and Eintracht Frankfurt won the Women's Champions League and Men's Europa League across the week. How good Rustic came on for Frankfurt in extra time and slotted his penalty against Rangers, ensuring his side play in Europe's top club competition next season. Unfortunately, though, Michael, bittersweet for Ellie. She did win her second winner's medal, but did win it on crutches after tearing her ACL after 15 minutes of falling on. So the race is well and truly on now to make sure she's fit for the Home World Cup. Yeah, look, just reflecting on Ellie's injury, it's a, it's a real, it's a disaster for her, no doubt about it. We can't uh, we can be optimistic about her recovery time and her ability to get to the World Cup, but it is a big setback and uh, so devastating because she is one of our frontliners. She's been such a massive part of the Matildas, uh, you know, over the last four or five seasons. Uh, people forget how young she is. She's been around since she was 15 or 16 in that uh, program. So, um, yeah, it's devastating. Uh, we hope that uh, the re- rehabilitation and uh, we hope that uh, the surgery has all gone uh, textbook textbook perfectly and Ali um, will be on the road to recovery but she's going to be sorely missed there's no doubt about it as the team um, evolves it's uh, lead up to the to the World, Women's World Cup and um, our um, best wishes and um, all the healthy vibes that you can send to Ellie for a quick and speedy recovery but uh, let's not sugarcoat it it's a uh, it's a big injury for the Matildas and uh, a personal setback for Ellie and a word on Aiden. He only came on for um, for extra time and he didn't play a great deal of the actual Europa League. He played a fair bit in the league throughout the season. But to grab that ball and walk towards the Rangers' end and stick it into the side of the net takes some serious cojones. It does, yeah. And, I mean, Aiden, um, those uh, close followers of um, the Socceroos know that Aiden is uh, quickly elevating into one of our prime movers. And, um, you know, when Aaron Moy doesn't play, he is the man. So, look, it's, it's all... a I see that whole experience for Aiden as just another development opportunity. I was interested to see his comments after the game. We're, we're pretty much that. It's a, it is a great achievement, regardless of the fact that he was um, uh, an incoming substitute in extra time, regardless of the amount of minutes he played in the final. It is a great achievement. And uh, he's up there in rarefied air, isn't he, with um, Australians that have had uh, European success uh, on continental club football. 
Just to finish, Manchester City sealed their eighth English league title and fourth under Pep Guardiola this week after a blistering five-minute spell that saw them overhaul Aston Villa 3-2 and close the door on Liverpool. City found themselves 2-0 down while at Anfield. The Reds struggled with Wolves, Michael, and it really would have been interesting uh, mentally the impact it would have had on City if Liverpool had have got the go-ahead goal, which would have meant City needed four. But in the end, that's all sort of neither here nor there. What is actually here is that Gundogan, Rodri, and then Gundogan again uh, found the net within five minutes and franked their status as champions. They certainly did. And they were on the back foot for parts of that game. Villa well and truly uh, did play their role in creating um, the jeopardy that uh, our friend uh, Derek Dyson talks about. And we'll talk with Derek and Martin Tyler, the voice of football, about the final uh, round. Um, yeah, so Manchester City, well done to them. It was um, a tug of war throughout the course of that game in particular. But, I mean, I can't leave um, talking about the final day of the Premier League without reflecting on the absolute mayhem and scenes of pure joy at uh, Leeds United, uh, who celebrated um, coming 17th. <laughs> and in Europe's other most competitive top league this year, AC Milan sealed their first Serie A title since 2010-11. They had a 3-0 win over Sassuolo on the final day and Inter kept the pressure on them. They also had a 3-0 win, but with it in AC's hands, they got the job done. So that's their 19th league title, Michael, and that draws them level with Inter in second. Uh, and in a remarkable bit of symmetry, really, they've also finished second 16 times each. So the two great rivals of Milan have each won it 19 times and each finished second 16. And does that mean Zlatan Ibrahimovic will uh, go around again for one more season? Um, it would have been just about certain, but he's had major knee surgery off the back of the season, so he's going to miss a good few months. Uh, so whether they deem that necessary to, uh, whether they deem that still, uh, where whether they're going to give him a contract, knowing he's going to miss the first half of the season, uh, is probably what puts that up in the air. That's right. He's forty years of age now, isn't he? And um, he obviously. Uh, said uh, post-match that he returned to Milan at the encouragement of his longtime agent and uh, sadly uh, recently passed away, Mino Riola. So uh, Ibrahimovic uh, dedicated his title success to with Milan to Riola, who he said had backed him to lift uh, the trophy and the club out of the doldrums. So at 40 years of age, he casts a big shadow, doesn't he? He certainly does, Michael. Good to chat. Good to get the uh, the big issues of the week out of the way and preview the show that is to come. Stick around on the other side of this. We're going to have a chat to Dylan Wenzel-Halls, who's going to be playing in his first A-League Grand Final on Saturday. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Well, their success has been built on the discipline of 1-0 wins, but Western United found another gear when they needed it, sticking four in the net to overturn the deficit against Melbourne Victory last weekend and seal a place in a maiden A-League grand final. Dylan Wenzel-Hall scored the fourth and decisive goal in that clash, and he joins us now ahead of his first A-League decider. Dylan, welcome to box to box Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, you could look at the aggregate score last week, 4-2, and think maybe you guys did it comfortably, but by no means was that the case. Uh, Victory were throwing everything at you before you scored. So that was the 20th goal of your professional career. Was that your favourite? Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously Victory are an unbelievable team and they've got some unbelievable players and obviously, you know, Popper's got them well well structured and set up. So by no means does the scoreline reflect the difficulty of the game. But it was probably one of my favourite goals, obviously. Um, you know, I've, I mean, I put it into a relatively open net, but um, I think just because just it meant so much to, to the club, you know, seeing the the passion. I mean, I watched the video back afterwards. You know, seeing 
John and Foxy and, and all the boys on the bench and, and all the team come together and just, you know, it just meant so much to everyone. I think that would be up there with one of my favourites for sure. And can I ask you about the influence of John Aloisi? He would have uh, handed you your professional debut at Brisbane, but your paths didn't cross for too long there. He's come down to Melbourne. He's brought you, or he's come down to Western United, I should say, and he's brought you as well. So what's he taught you as a manager who, of course, was also a, a striker himself? Um, I think the biggest thing that I've obviously learned, you know, under under him is the, you know, how structured, obviously, his teams are. So I think, you know, prior teams that I was at, and a part of, um, I could sort of float around and, you know, sort of play and, and do what I want. The fact that, you know, I want to drift a little bit wider. I could pick the ball up out wider. I could drop deep. Whereas, you know, uh, he's got a, you know, an outline of how he wants his strikers to play. And that's sort of, you know, leading the line and, and, and you know, the focal point in attack, but also defence. So I think, you know, probably just developing my overall game as a striker and, and sort of understanding the role of, of being a nine, not really, you know, a, a, you know, a nine that can drift in, you know, wherever they want sort of thing. So I think you know, structurally and understanding of the, the role of the, the number nine is probably the biggest thing. Congratulations, Dylan, on uh, making the grand final, but importantly on your form as well. And Western United have had such a fantastic season. It's uh, it's uh, it's great to see you make the grand final. And, and, and just on your um, that uh, last answer to Willem's question, um, can you tell us about your partnership with Alexander Prijevic, uh, playing alongside him at times, sometimes in behind him? How have you approached... Um, that partnership and uh, and and is it more about uh, not as many you know not as many goals for you personally as about the uh, the the coexistence and the harmony of the forwards as a group together? I'd really like to get a, a little insight for our listeners about just how you are approaching the, the partnership with Alexander Privich because he's he and you have uh, have combined together well. Yeah, I think obviously we're a relatively new partnership as well because uh, you know, we've only played together the last probably four or five games for the last four games. So, um, you know, when I've come off the bench at times, you know, often I've come off for him or, or he's come off not long after. So we hadn't really had a lot of time to, to play together and, and sort of develop that, that partnership. But, um, you know, I've always thrived, I, I believe, and, and, and enjoyed playing, you know, with a, with a second striker up top. You know, at Brisbane, I played in behind Taggart. I played in behind O'Donovan at, at Brisbane at times. And, you know, even my, my time at Western Pride, I played in behind Harry Sawyer often. So, um, I, I do thrive, I think, and, and enjoy playing, um, you know, up there with another number nine. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's um, you know, come of late that we've been, you know, having the opportunity to play together and I've really enjoyed it. But I think um, we complement each other. I think, you know, he does what I don't do and I do what he doesn't do. In fact, that, you know, I'm the willing runner. I'm the, I'm the one with the pace and, and make forward runs. And, and he's the one that holds the ball up and, and brings in players to the game and sort of um, connects the game, you know, from the midfielders to the attackers. And then obviously... He's a he's a fantastic striker and he's you know he's unbelievable at, at you know finishing in and around the box. So you know as long as we get the balls into him and you know he'll score goals. And I think that was the case on the weekend. I think I had a couple of opportunities and I'm just looking up and trying to find him because I know he's he's the man that's going to you know head home or or put the ball in the back of the net for the most part. And and I'll, I'll you know lucky enough put a good ball in the box for him and, and combined well and um and and Payne, you know put a good ball a ball uh, a good ball in the box for him as well. So look, it, it's been good. I really enjoyed playing with him and you know I look. Um, I look forward to you know continuing that partnership, and, and you know I think it can be very special. Tell us about the mood in the group. I mean, you've had you've had a great season, but we those who follow West United closely know that um, you play in a lot of different venues. You um, you've had a lot of travel. Um, I imagine the group comes together 
really solidly. And and I guess we got a the, the fans got a little insight of that this week when there was a recording of John Aloisi talking to the players in the rooms immediately after the game, uh, referencing the fact that no one other than the inner sanctum thought that you would make the grand final. So uh, being on the road so often, uh, playing in multiple venues, um, and also that sort of um, underdog or um, uh, that sort of feeling of uh, of being together on the road all the time, has that been a big motivating factor for the, the group's success? I think so. Obviously, you know, we're, we're all, um, you know, we've got a lot of young boys that are obviously striving to, to play and make a name for themselves in the professional game. And, you know, we've got a lot of, experienced players so I think the team is you know the, the sort of dynamic of the team is, is really good you know you've got your, your older heads of Kilkenny and Jamie Young and Topple Stanley Leo and then you know your younger players that are yeah, coming through like I said but but we've always we've been on the road a lot this year and, and we've been in Tasmania and Ballarat and Geelong and, and you know here there everywhere and we we haven't really got a you know Amy Park's our home and all that sort of stuff but you know we haven't you know played it you know all of our home games at the one home ground so of course that's that's difficult but but, you know, I think throughout the season, no one really gave us a chance. I think if you look at the pundits, you know, prior to the season, you know, they had us finishing, well, definitely not finishing in the top three or making a grand final, that's for sure. So, you know, I think, you know, to prove those people wrong was, was only motivating us. And, and not only that, but, we're, you know, the, the team gets on so well and it's a, it's a really good dynamic in that aspect for sure. We all love uh, watching you play, but a, a player that, sort of captured the imagination of Western United fans. So I spoke to a couple in the lead up to this interview and said, you know, what should I ask Dylan? And they said, can you ask about our last year's player of the year? Uh, uh, Tomokai Imai, um, he's, uh, the fans tell me that uh, they understand he's very popular in the group. And can you just give us a bit of an insight into his impact at the club? And um, obviously, you know, melding, uh, molding internationals into uh, A-League teams is always a, a, an interesting sort of discussion point. But we'd love to know a little bit more about uh, MI and uh, just how much he's loved and what sort of impact he's had at the club. Yeah, so I, I've roomed with Tamaki um, a number of times, actually. And obviously, I played directly against him last year. And he was one of the toughest defenders I played against, I think, in my A-League career, just because of how strong and how fast he was. You know, even if you got past him, he, he'd, he'd recover because he was that quick and, and he'd come in and make a tackle. And he's, he's a machine, honestly. He's... He's an unbelievable player, but you know he's, a, he's an even better person, and he's he's such an amazing guy. And um, you know he's he's always happy, always he's always positive, and he's um, he's funny. You know, we uh, personally I, I enjoy teaching him, you know, Australian slang, and and then twenty minutes later you, you hear him walking around to other boys, you know, saying "g'day mate" or "fair dinkum" or um, you know, a little bit chilly. So um, you know he's a, he's an amazing he's a, he's a, he's a, yeah. And um, he's a good character to have, and you know he's he's transitioned so well into this team, and all the boys you know love him and, and adore him. But but not only him, you know, there's all the foreigners, you know, they've they've all come into the team, and you know they've they've all transitioned into the team really well. And I think that's the biggest thing is you know the clubs can get their foreigners right, as well as the players around them. Um, you know they they'll have every chance to be successful. And I think West United have done that this year for sure. Dylan, speaking of internationals that the club's got right from day one, Alessandro Diamante's been the king of the club, really. Uh, and great to see him uh, in the change rooms after the match with his shirt off, still sort of bringing the party. So it's a little bit of a heartbreaker that he hasn't played the back end of the season. That he's not going to be there uh, on Saturday, but we can only assume from the outside, still as big of an influence off-field as ever. Yeah, obviously, you know, I, I, to be fair, I don't know why he had his shirt off in the change room after the game. We, uh, that's, a, that's, <laughs> a, that's, a, that's a mystery for us. We have no idea why he, why, I have no idea why he had it off, but that's just the character he is. You know, he's a, he's a different character. He's, he's a very out there and he's very positive and, you know, he's a, he's a good, good person to have around the change room and um, you know he, he's, he's an amazing player as well it's disappointing that he hasn't 
you know, played as much, um, you know, as you would have liked and as, as the club would have liked. But, um, but look, you know, we, we, we look forward to obviously, you know, the weekend and, and hopefully, you know, he's, he's played a big role in this football club. So hopefully we can um, obviously win the, win the trophy and, and um, I'm sure he'll uh, enjoy the celebrations as well. So, um, but yeah, obviously, but like I said, the foreign and players that, that the club's brought in, they've all been unbelievable. And, and, and as well as, you know, not just the foreign players, but, you know, Kilkenny and Topple Stanley, those experienced players have only helped us, you know, develop as players all around and, and also, um, you know, increase our standards and, and drive the standards at, at training and, and, and games. From a broader perspective, so much chat externally around Western United and around the direction of the club and the, the, the franchise that's still only just under under four calendar years old, chat around the stadium, the fan base. Um, having now been inside the club for uh, nearly a year, how do you think it's tracking uh, as an entity and how crucial do you think your on-field success is to continuing that, that off-field growth? Yeah, well, first and foremost, the club's unbelievable. You know, it's so professional. Um, and, you know, they'd go above and beyond, um, you know, to make the players happy, make the fans happy, and also to do what's best for the club. Um, you know, this club is, is, is honestly a special club, and I think they're, they're, they've got big ambitions. And I think, you know, in the future, they're, they're going to be a very big club in, in Australian football. But, um, you know, just, just from the, 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 you know, the stadiums and the facilities that they're trying to build, you know, it's taking them two, three years to, to make these plans and, and obviously um, get them over the line and, and, and to start, start the process, you know, whereas this club's been in the league for, you know, 15, 20 years and, and have, have got nowhere near those um, ambitions at the moment. So, look, it's, it's, it's an amazing club and, and I think the, the, the more successful that we are on the field, the, the, the bigger the club will grow because, you know, we're, we've, we haven't got much of a fan base, you know, we've got amazing fans, you know, but, you know, we, we don't have the numbers, you know, victory of God and, and those sorts of things. So, the more successful we are, you know, the bigger the fan base grows. But I've been really impressed with the club from, from you know, head to toe, from the, the staff, the backroom staff, you know, the owners, the CEO, obviously. Um, you know, it's, it's a special club to be a part of. And, and we're all looking forward to, um, you know, doing our best to uh, make history on Sunday, Saturday, sorry. Dylan, just to uh, for the last question, we'll just change tack for a moment. We're recording this interview with you uh, less than 24 hours after the a-League All-Stars and Barcelona match. Um, you're an A-League product. Uh, you're, you're, you are uh, the outcome of the A-League pathway, um, really, and uh, your success is testament to what's been put in place. But did you catch the game last night? And w- Willem and I were talking off the top of the show. We were on the edge of the seat entirely. It was uh, it just the whole game brought a smile to my face, and I was just wondering uh, whether you caught it and uh, what you thought. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was watching it. You know, I had a... Um, a lot, you know, playing against all those players in the in the A League regularly, uh, and then obviously watching them take on Barcelona was was amazing, and it would have been an amazing opportunity, an amazing you know, team to be a part of playing against such you know phenomenal opposition that we've all grown up idolising and watching. Um, but you know, I was I, I watched it um, eagerly as well. I was on the edge of my seat as well, especially when um, Piscopo scored the first goal, and then obviously they went two one up with uh, Adama Traore. I was thinking, you joke, and this is unbelievable, uh, unbelievable, <laughs> and and you know, amazing spectacle and. You know, to have 70,000 fans out there watching is phenomenal. But um, I think the biggest thing from, from me about that is, obviously, you know, we all love Barcelona. We all love those European teams. But I think we need to support as well the teams that are in our backyard as well because that's the only way football is going to grow in Australia and that's the only way we're going to see, um, you know, our national team progress as well and, and as well as the clubs getting bigger because, um, you know, it, it's amazing to see those numbers turn out. But it'd be awesome to see those numbers turn out, you know, regularly as well to to support the A-League because, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, their local football and it's the football that's in their backyard. So, 
as well as supporting those big teams. You know, it'd be nice to see people support the A-League teams as well. But again, fantastic spectacle and um, amazing opportunity for those those players that played. And, you know, I was watching, like I said, watching Eagerly. I was watching Jay O'Shea and Scotty Neville that I played with for, for a few years. And, you know, it was nice to see them do really well against, you know, some of those big stars. Yeah, certainly was. It was fantastic. Dylan, thank you so much for uh, uh, coming onto the program this week uh, ahead of your big match. Good luck on the weekend. I hope you enjoy the build-up to the grand final and um, go well. And I- I'm sure um, all your family and friends and uh, and West United uh, supporters uh, in Melbourne right around Australia will be eagerly uh, hoping that you can uh, stick one in the back of the net. Absolutely. No, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And I, I obviously look forward to seeing Everyone is listening at the game, and I think it'll be a great event and uh, you know a nice a nice afternoon for everyone. Fantastic. We'll stick around uh, because uh, straight after this break, Willem van Dender and I will return and we'll look at uh, all of the Socceroos and Matildas news from a big week in Europe and in Australia. Box to box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back. Great to have a chat to Dylan Wenzel-Halls. Really insightful with uh, with what he had to offer there and let's hope that he can slide one into the net and go and celebrate and lift the toilet seat with John Aloisi and Western United this weekend. Uh, Michael, just about time for Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. But before we do that, we need to have a chat about Chemist Warehouse. Did you know that you can get 40% off the entire Healthy Care Vitamins range? There's Healthy Care Vitamin C, 500 milligram, 500 tablets for just $15.59. That's not bad, Edge. I need a bit of healthy care, I really do. Vitamin C in particular, help uh, ward off the the flu that's floating around uh, the world at the moment. In particular, you should get some of that vitamin C, Willem, just to help you get past the influenza that's uh, floating around the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. I'll also be getting the Healthy Care Immune Defence, 120 tablets for 17.39. Healthy Care Vitamin D3, 1000 IU, which means international units. That's how they measure vitamins. 500 capsules of that for just 15.29. And Healthy Care Olive Leaf Extract, 500 mil for $12.59. Michael Chemist Warehouse, that is where you get the great savings every day. You certainly do. And um, uh, I'll, be, I'll be going back to Chemist Warehouse. In fact, before I left Australia, I went to Chemist Warehouse and loaded up and my bag's full of all sorts of goodies uh, to get me through my uh, international trip. But uh, Willem, um, just before we kick off on all this news, um, how about uh, the AFC? Some very big news out of the AFC in the past week, and that is that China will no longer host the 2023 Asian Cup Finals uh, due to the COVID-19 situation in the country. The Asian Football Confederation announced during the week that it uh, will decide on a new host in due course, but they have stripped China of that event. That's a big decision. Those things don't happen lightly. Um, And sources that I have um, uh, have been telling me that uh, Qatar is the front runner to win the hosting rights to leverage their football infrastructure that's obviously been built for the uh, 2022 FIFA World Cup, uh, which will be in November and December of this year. So it's a massive story. Yeah, we probably haven't thought too much of it. About the actual way of uh, about the Asian Cup, because you know we're still in the running and hopefully we're going to go to the World Cup. But within a couple of weeks, we could very seriously be looking at uh, the Asian Cup as our next major tournament, most likely with a new uh, manager at the helm. So that is that is a big story. Uh, what about the possibility of Japan and Korea hosting it, or maybe one of the two? Uh, they've certainly thrown their hat in the ring, and given it was meant to be in China, this is nominally uh, a tournament in the cycle that was meant to be held in the East. So, do you reckon that they, with their infrastructure, could possibly? Uh, be given the nod? Of course they can. There's no doubt about it. But um, let's uh, not 
uh, be mistaken. Uh, the politics of the AFC is controlled out of the Middle East, and I do expect uh, the push for Qatar will be pretty big. Let's have a look at Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army, Michael. We've got to be just about at last chance time, don't we, to seal your place on the Socceroos uh, tour in Doha next month. How are things tracking? Uh, things are tracking really fantastically, and um, everybody received their... Uh, detailed itineraries just in the last couple of days. The tour is looking fantastic. There's still time to get on board. You can even come for a few days if you've not got the opportunity to join us for all 11, or even if Australia beat UAE and you want to make a, a mercy dash to see the Peru game, just uh, give us an email at worldcup at ggarmy.com and we'll look after you. The team will uh, ensure that uh, not only uh, are you well looked after and um, comfortably uh, nestled within our tour group to ensure you have a wonderful time in Doha. I'm really getting excited about the intercontinental playoffs. They are massive events, edge of the seat stuff, and uh, it's all on the line, Willem, uh, all on the line for the Socceroos, for the players involved, this group, and and for head coach Graham Arnold. It's uh, don't come Monday if we uh, if we don't get the job done. Tell you what, I'm looking forward to you sending me a picture of you feet up on the Banana Island Resort. Yes, uh, uh, maybe I'll just send you a picture of my feet at the Banana Island Resort. <laughs> uh, let's start this week in Italy with Joe Montemuro. He's won the domestic treble with Juventus. They'd already sealed the league and the Super Coppa, and they this weekend went ahead and won the Coppa Italia 2-1. It was a close-run thing. They were 1-0 down with 10 minutes to go, but he flipped a couple of magnets, brought the subs on, and got it done at the death. And this is legitimate, Michael. Do you know what his new nickname is around the streets of Turin? I don't. What is it? What is it? Mr. Tripoletta. Mr. Tripoletta, that is uh, that suits him, doesn't it? You can just imagine him uh, strut- strutting around the, uh, the the cafes and the coffee shops of uh, Turin, and with his chest out, and people in the street waving and chanting his name. Yeah, over there, see that—that's Mr. Tripoletta. Uh, there was a late winner for Katrina Gori and Vizio in the Swedish Women's League. The Damalsvenskan, Claire Polkinghorne, as we know, plays there as well. She played a full game at the back, so they're ten matches in. They're the reigning champions, of course, uh, but they sit fifth, so still a little bit of work to do. We've got four Socceroos to touch on here: Bailey Wright and Sunderland are back in the championship after defeating Wickham two-one in the playoffs. So well done to Bailey. Two seasons of really tough graft in League One. Uh, and the Black Cuts are a little bit closer to where they belong at the top of the English tree. Tough stuff for Cameron Devlin and Nathaniel Atkinson, who lost the Scottish Cup 2-0 to Rangers uh, in extra time. Uh, from a personal perspective, though, in terms of their careers, Michael, they've both made the jump seamlessly from the A-League to Europe, and their careers are only headed in one direction. Uh, and in brilliant news, the forgotten man is back. Adam Taggart has scored his first goal since October last year uh, in a derby, no less. Sirizo Osaka won the uh, 3-1 uh, over Gamba Osaka. There's still a lot of the season for him uh, if he can stay fit. Still no news, though, on FIFA's investigation into Byron Castillo, the Ecuador player who Chile allege is actually from Colombia. So if Chile have their way with this one, the matches in which Castillo played in the World Cup qualifiers, and he played eight of them, would be forfeits. And so Chile would have the points to jump into the automatic spots uh, and Ecuador would be bumped down to play us instead of Peru next week. But they're two weeks into that investigation, Michael, and they don't have long. So would you be sort of thinking that this is just going to sort of fall over? Uh, Anything's possible in the world of FIFA, but uh, I think your assessment and inference there, Willem, is uh, spot on. The Women's World Cup draw uh, has been announced. When can we expect that? Uh, Saturday, the 22nd of October in Auckland will be the draw for the Women's World Cup 2023 Australia-New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand are hosting the official draw. The opening ceremony in the first match will involve, uh, which will involve the football ferns. Uh, and the Matildas, obviously. Let's not uh, forget that the Matildas have lined up two friendlies in the June 
period. So that squad will be announced probably in the coming days. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see who makes that squad over there. Uh, we'll be playing against Portugal and Spain. So two pretty big games for the Matildas uh, to help them prepare for uh, what's going to be um, an amazing event. Uh, I still am saying to my colleagues in the network, anybody who asked me a question about the Women's World Cup, they just don't know how big this thing's going to be. It's going to take Australia by storm, no doubt about it. Bit of news as well around the young Socceroos. We know they're going to play the AFC uh, Asian Cup in Uzbekistan later this year. Well, that's right. So the AFC Under-20 Asian Cup Uzbekistan qualifiers uh, have been announced. The matches are scheduled between 10 and 18 September. The young Socceroos will travel to play in Iraq, and in that group will be obviously Iraq, India, and Kuwait. We are the favourites to go through there. We should uh, be comfortable in that, albeit it's a difficult place to go and uh, and uh, apply your trade. But the, the good news for the Joeys, the under-17s, is that they've learned also their opponents for their under-17 Asian Cup Bahrain 2023 qualifiers. Their matches are from 1 to 9 October. And the Joeys uh, have the advantage of playing on home soil. Uh, and in the Joeys group is China, Cambodia, and believe it or not, Northern Mariana Islands. So can you get the Google location maps out? Willem, can you tell me where the hell is Northern Mariana Islands? I have no clue. I can tell you while you tell me about the young Matildas under Leah Blaney who are preparing for the World Cup in Costa Rica later this year. Yeah, you do the uh, Google map search to find out uh, where the Northern uh, Mariana Islands is for the Joeys who who they'll be playing against Cambodia and China and Australia. Yes, the young Matildas are, are going into another training camp from the 30th of May until the 3rd of June. A 27-player list was announced uh, this week. And we're getting to the pointy end where Leah Blaney uh, and Rado Vedasic and the other uh, coaches in that group are going to have to sharpen the pencil. Um, and uh, that group is starting to take shape. We, When you see the names that have been coming out for each of these training camps, you can see... Uh, the likely uh, names that are in contention and the, the probables and the possibles. So, yeah, it's an exciting time for this group who only three weeks ago found out that they were going to the FIFA Under-20 Women's World Cup Costa Rica in August of this year. It's just rattling down upon us. And the Northern Mariana Islands are way out in the Pacific. They're just north of Guam. They are a US Commonwealth and they have just under 50 or just over 58,000 people uh, living on their little island. So all the best to them there. The capital uh, is Saipan, Michael. Saipan, there you go. Fantastic. Thanks for that geography lesson, Willem. I, I do appreciate it. And thank you for that Australian football update, Michael. Stick around on the other side of this. We're going to turn our attention to the Premier League. It's all wrapped up. It was a thrilling final day. It could have been one of the most thrilling final days. We'll ask Martin Tyler where he places it next on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Well, they were dreaming fleetingly on the terraces of Anfield, but Manchester City put paid to any notion of a final day disaster with three goals in a flash to seal their fourth Premier League title in five years. To wrap up the season that was, it's a privilege as always to welcome back to the show the voice of not only this program, but of football, Martin Tyler. Martin, how are you? I'm good, guys. I hope you are as well. Yes, um, it's quite a finish, wasn't it? 
Uh, the Premier League rarely disappoints. We're a decade on from the most famous dramatic final day in Premier League history. And for a long stage, this one was sort of building towards uh, possibly matching it before City, of course, put their stamp on their match against Villa. So of all the final day finishes you've seen, where did this one rank? Well, right up there. I suppose the technical difference between 10 years ago and uh, last Sunday was that Manchester United 10 years ago had finished. They were actually... Uh, champions in all but name um, because their game was over. They got the points and City were losing. So uh, in this game, and we actually <laughs> needed to check it out afterwards, the sequence of scoring meant that Liverpool actually didn't go top on the day at all. They got their noses in front against Wolves finally. Uh, seconds after, um, Manchester City went 3-2 in front and obviously if City wins, then they win the title and they went on to confirm the victory. So, um, but it was, yeah, it was an astonishing five minutes and uh, I guess pretty astonishingly, um, 70 odd minutes before that because, um, Aston Villa played very well. Um, and it looked as though Manchester City were going to come up short. It was, um, two great teams. They really should both get a trophy, you know, because they pushed each other to unforeseen heights. Really, we're not quite unforeseen. But 93 points, 92 points, City scored 99 goals. You know, it was, um, it was really, really privileged to be able to broadcast these um, matches. I did the two league games between the two of them, 2-2 two, two and 2-2. Two, two. Uh, so there's, there's hardly anything between them. And, uh, yeah, you know, well done to City for just, just nudging ahead. And they did it just in the nick of time. That's a fourth English league title for Pep Guardiola, which moves him past Shankly, Cullis, Arsene Wenger and Jose Mourinho. He draws level with Kenny Delgleish and there's only six names uh, above those two in the history of English football. So what does this title represent historically uh, to the legacy of Guardiola, considering, of course, oddly, that Jurgen Klopp has already been awarded manager of the year? Yes, that was, um, again, a very tight call, I would imagine. Um, and Jurgen Klopp's in the Champions League final. He's won the two domestic caps and he's pushed Manchester City all the way. You know, I, unless they gave it as a joint award, uh, you know, one was going to get it and they were going to ask me the question about the other one. <laughs> so, um, uh, I'm not a great lover of individual awards in the sport, to be honest with you. I think it's a team effort and I'm sure Jurgen paid tribute to all the players that made it happen for him and, and for Pep and his legacy. Yeah, it's been, um, it's been an extraordinary. Uh, for both of them, they're both very passionate. They both demand nothing but the best, as much of a perfectionist as you've never been in a in a sport where true perfection is is not quite possible. But you can strive for it all the time, and they those two do. Their teams do. The players are always um, there for their train. They train like they play. You know, everything is uh, is geared to not slacking off. There's very little respite, and it is a great credit to these players that they cope with the actual physical demands for the manager. Of course, it's, it's a mental strain. And boy, it is a strain, I'm sure, for them. Um, but they um, they find they're winning machines, aren't they? Uh, from the managers right down to the, the man who might have played just one game in the course of a, of a Premier League season and, and um, helped out for 10 minutes or 15 minutes. So it, it's it's right through the culture of the club and, and both do brilliant jobs. Four, four titles in five years, 10 in 13 seasons, I think the overall statistic for Pep is uh, exceptional. Martin, looking at the other side of the table where there was drama afoot as well, Burnley obviously relegated after six seasons in the Premier League, Leeds uh, surviving just on the final day of the season. It was quite man, a manful kind of effort from Mike Jackson 
um, Ben Mee and and others. But what do you think now for Burnley? Uh, you know, they they don't have a manager. They've kind of gone from being a well-run football club from a financial point of view to being saddled with huge debt, which by all accounts they now have to start repaying because of the relegation. Do you, do you sense that this might have been coming for Burnley for a little while they didn't, and they're almost the architects of their own downfall here? Well, I'm not an expert on the financing of football clubs, but it does seem to me there was a couple of years ago a change in the, obviously there was a change in the ownership, but a change in the way the club was being run. Um, and when you say they haven't got a manager, the, the, the news or gossip is that Vincent Company could be that manager uh, very soon. He's left Anderlecht and, of course, has uh, deep roots in, in Manchester, which is very close to Burnley. Um, and that would be a real boost to get somebody of that stature. But as I say, that's not confirmed as we speak. But the um, uh, the difficulty is it's a town club, you know. It's, it's, it's a bit of a miracle that Burnley have operated in the old days. They were champions back um, in, uh, in the late 1950s. And they are a club that's often punched above its weight. But they've also been on the brink of elimination back in the in the 1980s. They were a game away from dropping out of the Football League altogether. So they are, um, it is an up and down existence. So are we about to embark on a, on a real drop? I hope not for good people. It's a very strong, tightly knit community in Burnley and they're very proud, rightly so, of their football team. So I hope that um, yeah, the the dark clouds seem to be gathering, but um, let's hope there's something in the wind to blow blow them away. And that they, there is a when you get relegated from the Premier League, there are what are called parachute payments. Um, the Premier League funds a certain amount of money so that the, the club doesn't have to sack it all the ancillary staff and everything that they they, they do support the um, the clubs that that go down for a while for a couple of years and. That helps them come back up again. We're seeing already Bournemouth who were relegated two years ago come back for them were relegated a year ago come back not not for the first time. Uh, and it's possible that Huddersfield also come into that list might get back by the by the playoff final, which is still to come against Nottingham Forest. So um, there are more um, if you like, optimistic um, routes for Burnley, but it, it doesn't look great at the moment. I have to say. Now, Martin, the other thing that was on the line was it was Champions League and myself and Michael on the show are unashamed Arsenal fans and we like to pivot all of our guests towards the subjects of Arsenal whenever we get the chance. Um, uh, you know, looking on, in uh, one sense, I was quite pleased to see a kind of positivity around the Emirates despite having missed out on the Champions League. It's certainly a far cry from the late Wenger era and even the Unai Emery era where there was a lot of negativity uh, around the club. Uh, and, and clearly there's a sense that Arteta is build some, building something there. But I wonder if this is a missed opportunity, not just in the way that they finish the season, but when you look at the other teams now, Manchester United, surely they can't get any worse and, and will recover. Newcastle didn't want the season to end. Uh, even Aston Villa, you know, signing Coutinho full-time and making great strides uh, themselves, potentially. Did Arsenal miss a trick here? This could have been the last of a great opportunity to qualify for this tournament. Well, I think the way Arsenal started the season, anybody would have taken fifth place, but it was um, an opportunity that's clearly been missed uh, to be... Uh, three games away from getting in the Champions League and to lose the first two of those. But in the 
circumstances in which the strength of Arsenal uh, over the last few months became a bit of a weakness because the atmosphere in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was unbelievable. I, I've rarely encountered such noise. Um, uh, it's a new ground. First time it was absolutely jammed full for a North London derby. And the acoustics are incredible. <laughs> it was almost hard to speak uh, at some point, let alone for the lads young lads to play in it and it was too much for the young Arsenal team as was Newcastle a few days later um, that was the, the I think the, the nub of why they came up short over the over the running and wasted the opportunity uh, in a sense they were victim of what was a very uh, positive decision I think earlier in the season when they cleared out a lot of the squad players who weren't playing very much um, but they could have done with a couple of those because they didn't have Kieran Tierney and Thomas Partey uh, two of their best players were were injured for that run-in. And I think if they'd had a little bit more quality to fill those positions, they might have just got across the line. But I think it's a decent effort for Arsenal, whether it's um, going to wriggle away from now forever in a day. I don't think Arsenal fans should be thinking that. So, yeah, there will be competition, but uh, there's no reason at all why the structure of the club and the ability to produce young players can't make them not just challenges for Champions League, but, but for the title itself. Martin, um, Son Hun Ming um, tied for the Golden Boot with Mohamed Salah and um, I just wanted you to reflect on that achievement. Um, players uh, from the Asian Football Confederation, uh, we've had a lot of Australians do very well in the Premier League but uh, less so um, out of Korea and Japan. I just wanted you to reflect on um, that achievement. I, I personally think obviously Australia, part of the Asian Football Confederation, we're very familiar with um, the Asian players, the Asian leagues and uh, the type of profile and quality that comes out of those. I, I personally think it's quite a big achievement and a great um, cornerstone or foundation for Asian football, football to build. Can you just reflect on Son for us and the impact he's had at uh, Tottenham? And uh, he, he's much loved, but he's, he's turned into a beautiful footballer, hasn't he? Yeah, I agree with everything you say. I think it's great for the Asian Federation. It's great for South Korea. And obviously he's... He's an absolute idol there. I think he's gone back home now, hasn't he, since he, he got his achievement, got his golden boot. Quite funny, really. I mean, he's very, very popular. He's very likable. He wears his heart on his sleeve and he plays in a team. Uh, I'm sorry for the Arsenal fans in the studio, but he plays for the team that, that, that suits his style and he gets on the front foot with Harry Kane. Uh, it's a wonderful combination that they, they have. Um, uh, but it was funny that he did come out after the draw at Liverpool, which he, in which he scored um, and played very well, uh, saying that the golden boot didn't matter. It was only about uh, Tottenham getting into the Champions League. And then in the game against um, Arsenal, <laughs> when Arsenal were down to 10 men and he got taken off uh, to be uh, protected for the next game, <laughs> he was furious. He had a right strop at it um, because he detected that there would be other goals, I'm sure, for him in that uh, in that time that remains. So uh, it was a, it, we had a good chuckle doing the commentary on that because it was a very obvious drop, almost to the point as why didn't you take Harry Kane off? You know, he's not in the running for the golden boot this time. <laughs> Um, but great for him, and as I say, much loved and, and um, a great ambassador for, for football in, in the in the Asian community. You know, it's 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 great. Great footballers come in all shapes and sizes from all countries and all genders, and we're really we're really pleased to to see them unfold and show off their talents really in, on on our patch, so to speak. Martin, um, in Asia and Australia, um, um, we. Uh, set up for the final day with 
um, the streaming services and we flip between games depending on what's happening and uh, we can get access to all of the games on the final day and uh, it wasn't lost on me that I was um, talking to my colleagues and friends in the UK who um, it wasn't the, the, it's not the same case that all of the games were available to watch uh, in the UK on the final day via the various different platforms. Um, I'm just wondering if it's time um, that the Premier League sort of looks into that with a bit of a closer eye on how the the home fans are experiencing the final day, the ones that are not in the stadium. So I just was interested to get a lot of dialogue from my UK, UK colleagues and friends asking me about sort of what I was observing on the multiple screens I had set up in uh, where I was. Yeah, it's, it's obviously the way the, the business is run by the authorities. I mean, actually, there was um, a great step forward in that respect in uh, on Sky Sports, the channel that uh, I broadcast for, we were able to show all the goals as they happened. Um, so there were three live games and uh, all the other goals, uh, I certainly had goals rolled in to my broadcast at Manchester City from uh, from the other games that were, were not being shown live. The Burnley game wasn't shown live, for example. That that was um, we showed all the goals from that in in, in our broadcast. So um, yes, if you wanted to see the whole game, and, and uh, but the, the simple answer is um, it doesn't. It, it, it hasn't been customer practice here. But that I, I spoke to Richard Masters, chief executive of the Premier League, uh, who I happened to bump into at, at Manchester City, and uh, congratulated and thanked him actually that we were allowed to do that, so that. You didn't miss anything really, but of course, if you if you wanted to watch, um, for example, Arsenal versus Everton, I don't know whether that's a good example for for you, but if you wanted to watch that, um, that wasn't available live. So uh, uh, it, it, it's just the it's just the way it works here. And, and as I say, the fact that those girls were available, there was a, a wrap up show going on um, from a studio in which all the girls were, were uh, if you watch that program, you saw every goal from the Premier League pretty soon after it happened. That turnaround was just instantaneous, really. So so that was a, a step forward. Um, and I'm sure that was that was uh, greeted with, um, I think, a lot of joy here. And I think that's the way we'll go forward. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do get your point. Um, but there is a balance between um, flooding market, I suppose, and, and keeping people wanting to, to see the, the main games. So that's um, that's not that's way above my pay grade, guys. But, um, yeah, it's different here to what you could see where you are. Well, Martin, it's been a, a true privilege to have you on uh, once again. Your time's greatly appreciated. So enjoy the European final on the weekend and, and your summer ahead, and we'll enjoy turning our TV on late at night and hearing your voice once again early next season. Yeah, and I'll be trying to find a stream for, uh, is it? So June the seventh, the UAE game is that? Uh, yes, um, we've got the uh, we've got the UAE, and then hopefully Peru beyond that. Yeah, it's a big, yeah. it's a big time so, for Australian football, mate. I know this, and, and I, I wish everybody who's concerned with it well, and, and particularly for those who are fighting the cause of the, the world game. Um, it does help a lot when the national team's doing well, and, and it's the same over here, to be truthful. <laughs> and England are uh, going into the uh, the Nations League with um, with some, you know, one or two scars because of crowd behaviour, and it's going to be an interesting month for, for football from the England national team as well. We've got Scotland playing Ukraine in a, in a World Cup playoff, and then the winners playing Wales, so um, we're not done and dusted here either by any means. Fantastic. Martin, thank you very much once again.
All the best, guys. Nice to talk to you. Bye-bye. Martin Tyler there. Okay, stick around. On the other side of this, we'll wrap it up with stoppage time. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Thank you to Martin Tyler. Always very special to have him as part of our show, and we hope you enjoyed that chat. Derek, you're going to hang around for stoppage time. Always loads to get through at this point of the show. We're going to start on a bit of an ugly note, though. Pitch invasions. Issues this week at Swindon Town, Manchester City, uh, Nottingham. Uh, unfortunately, when they're not one-off incidents, we, uh, we might be moving towards a point where this tradition uh, is no longer. What do you think? Yeah, and I would I would start by saying, is it a tradition in the UK? Yeah, you do get pitch invasions, just like you would here in Australia. Um, but it, there really seems to have been a surge in them recently, and people are kind of linking it between a kind of behaviour post COVID and lockdown, where people are feeling that that they can get away with this more. I mean, the the, the prime minister can get away with virtually anything, as you can see. But um, that that yeah, we've all been bottled up, and but this is okay now, and we should be able to express our emotion. And of course, Aston Villa goalkeeper Robin Olsen was just the latest um, person to be assaulted on the pitch. Uh, ugly scenes there at Etihad, and what should have been a really triumphant mood with City's title win. Patrick Vieira getting involved in altercation. I tell you what. Um, I've stood next to Vieira. He is not a man that I would want to get into an altercation with, but someone decided that they wanted to do that. And yeah, you name check Swindon Town, um, Nottingham Forest, um, Mansfield, Luton. It's been happening everywhere and very unsavoury. It's not the responsibility of the stewards ultimately to stop pitch invasions. I mean, how can you if uh, tens of thousands of people have decided to pour onto the pitch, but it's not orchestrated. Uh, I was really taken by the scenes of Buddy Franklin's 1,000th kick, his 1,000th goal, and that and that was pre-planned. Everyone knew it was going to happen. Um, yes, there's an element of danger to it, um, but everyone knew. But this is the more spontaneous stuff. And, you know, listening to accounts this week, the players are genuinely really scared. Like, they don't like it when the, play, the fans come on the pitch. It's not... You know, it's not seen as a good experience for them and they want to be elsewhere. A big, big run-in from me, Michael, as usual. I'm sure you've got some views on English fan behaviour, but, you know, these scenes are not not welcome and they've got to try and stamp it out, haven't they? Well, I think pitch invasions have been a big part of English football, um, especially celebrating, you know, promotions and avoiding relegation, those types of big events in English football. I mean, you've only got to look at highlight reels of, you know, players getting carried off and that sort of stuff. So in the main, I think um, they have an impact on the culture and tradition of football. But let's, you know, boil it down. There's pitch invasions and then there's pitch invasions that have dickheads. I mean, the Fulham, um, when all the Fulham fans went on to celebrate their promotion back to the Premier League and the achievements of their striker, um, I thought that was a wonderful moment to... um, you know, for a club that, uh, you know, it doesn't get a lot to celebrate. I thought it was a wonderful moment. But, you know, the pitch invasion around Manchester City and what happened there, it's just, again, it's just the moronic behaviour of English club football fans. It's a culture. It's it's unacceptable and it needs to change. Yes, you can cheer and, and abuse the other fans and your players in the grandstand and create wonderful atmospheres, but when it crosses the line into, into physical altercations, it's just not on and when is the english football leadership going to call it out i think that's the question i've got for um all the english football fans listening to box the box this week 
Oh, like England boss Gareth Southgate pointing out uh, in his press conference this week ahead of the Nations League that it's an absolute embarrassment that England will be playing uh, a game behind closed doors following their fans' uh, performance at the uh, at the recent Euros. And I think there is something to be said, and, and it is nuances, as you said, Edge. Um, you know, if you if you said if you've, you've won an iconic game. There probably is a place for it, but City fans have won four out of the last five Premier League titles. This wasn't suddenly like a an unbursting of pure unbridled joy. Yeah, obviously it's great to win the league, and it has been nip and tuck with Liverpool all season. But this isn't like the the breaking of a fifty year curse. It's like them doing what they normally do, which is winning the league, and then seeing pitch invasions for the semi finals of playoffs. Like it's only it's only the semi final. You know what I mean? It's not they haven't actually been promoted yet, and I can understand Nottingham Forest fans being you know, pent up because they've been down in that division for such a long time, but they're reaching Wembley. But yeah, I think I think you've got to pick your time, pick your time uh, for it. And um, yeah, like clearly we, you know, the perfection, the protection of the players is number one. And I don't want the players feeling uncomfortable trying to do their job on the pitch. It's not not acceptable that they that they should be put in that position. Yeah, that's the key point. That's the key point, Derek. If the players, widespread as a whole, are feeling sort of threatened or unhappy, then yeah, you don't want to be the fun police, but at some point, something needs to be done. Thrilling wrap-up to the Serie A as well, Derek. Michael and I touched on it uh, off the top, but along with the Premier League, I mean, which was a two-horse race, this has been clearly the most thrilling of the uh, the top five European leagues, and it's AC Milan who held off uh, Inter on the final day, and your mate Zlatan Ibrahimovic has won yet another title. Yeah, he's won another title, and he provided a really, really dramatic... Um... Uh, speech there in the in the dressing room at the end. He's now out for eight months. He's got had knee ligament or knee surgery. Apparently, it's gone well, and he will come back. and It gives me and Michael again the opportunity to swoon over Olivier Giroud. Um, what an amazing trophy collection he has! He's got the World Cup, he's got the Champions League, he's got the Premier League, he's got the FA Cup, he's now got Serie A. And this guy scores big goals in big games. Two more for him, Michael. What a player he is. Yeah, super player. And imagine if he was playing for Arsenal uh, even this season. I just wonder, would we have finished fourth or even third? Hmm, interesting. I'm going to give you two a chance to pretend last week didn't happen. Please give me your opinion on the move of Kylian Mbappe now that he's staying at PSG. I just thought what was fantastic. Look, Derek and I were not the only two two, uh, pundits caught... uh, startled by the decision of uh, Killian to remain at PSG. But I think the uh, most impressive revelation was the fact that he he talked over his potential transfer to Real Madrid with Emmanuel Macron. In between Emmanuel Macron's phone calls with Vladimir Putin about, can you please stop the war? Um, He was talking to (laughs) Kylian Mbappe about, can you please not go to Real Madrid? And obviously um, Emmanuel not too persuasive with Vladimir, but obviously very persuasive with Killian. So this is a backflip of enormous proportions, and hasn't it, hasn't it absolutely peed off the um, La Liga leadership? Uh, they are spewing about it. They're saying they're going to take legal action. Um, how can um, PSG, um, you know, turn down the the offer that has been resolved? It's uh, it's the, the 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 unholy inference of state sponsored, um, you know, the quantities of money. Where's this money coming from? How are they paying for it? They've lost 700 million euros in recent seasons. They've got a wage bill of over 600 million euros. I mean, uh, even uh, the La Liga president, uh, Javier Tabaz, was lining up PSD president uh, Nasser Al-Kafiri 
who said he's dangerous as he's more dangerous in the Super League, you know, Derek. So there was barbs going everywhere, but Killian took it all in his stride, gave Emmanuel a phone call and said, what do you think I should do, Prez? Derek yeah. got a, a leg to stand on when it comes to complaining about money coming out of, uh, out of their backsides. I don't think they do. I mean, I think it's interesting that, that Edge mentioned Super League there. And look, I think this is Florentino Perez's whole point around the reason for us having a Super League because, you know, if, you know they don't feel like they can compete with the likes of uh, PSG and Manchester City now for the, the premium players. And of course, uh, speaking of premium players, we spoke about Haaland last week. He's already gone to Manchester City. So, where does where do um, Real Madrid look now? I mean, they can look in their own squad and go, Karim Benzema off a fantastic season is still the main man up front. But um, uh, Salah has already come out from Liverpool and said he will be there next season, so they can't go there. So I'll be interested to see a little bit like Barcelona when they went and signed Coutinho and Usman Dembele. Will uh, Real Madrid feel compelled to go and sign a player in order to try and fill that PR hole? that's been left by Mbappe. Yeah, we know they like the Galacticos. They're playing in uh, a small game this weekend, Derek, just the Champions League final coming up against Liverpool, the side they defeated in 2018. What are your early thoughts a couple of days out from this one? Look, I think everyone says that uh, Liverpool are rightly the favourites uh, just off the back of their form in this tournament. Uh, but Real Madrid have pretty much overcome everything uh, that's been put in front of them in this tournament so far. They've knocked out... Chelsea, they've knocked out Paris Saint-Germain, who we just spoke about before. Uh, they deserve to be in this final. There just seems to be something about this tournament where Real Madrid is just synonymous with it. And it doesn't matter what the state of affairs is on the pitch. And look, they still have a fantastic team led by Karim Benzema, as we said before. They've still got the axis of Mod Modric, Casemiro uh, and Tony Cruz in the middle. So I don't think you rule out Real Madrid. I, I would say if you're a betting man, you put your money on Liverpool because this is just a fantastic team and you feel like they're destined to win it this year. But, um, you know, vote, vote, you know, rule against Real Madrid at your peril. And Willem, that is me sitting well and truly on the fence. I've got <laughs> splinters in my backside. Do you ever, Michael? Are you going to make a call either way? One more trick up the sleeve of the great Carlo Ancelotti? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm on Benzema's bandwagon. He's the big game player. He's done it all through the... Uh, the pointy end of this, uh, the, the Champions League for Real Madrid. I mean, he's uh, it's dangerous, but what a grudge match this is. It's just a rematch. Just think back to 2018, Willem, Mo Salah's shoulder, Gareth Bale's overhead kick, uh, Lloris um, Carew's blunders. I mean, uh, look, it's it's amazing, isn't it? And uh, what, what what are some tasty little battles we've got ahead of ourselves? Luka Modric versus Thiago. I think that's a tasty little battle there. Well, I think Thiago might be out, might he not, Derek? Yeah, I think he. I think he. It could be a doubt, a doubt yeah. for this game, mm -hmm. Edge. But um, very, very forlorn. What on about Virgil Van Dijk and Karim Benzema? Will they go? Um, there'll be a few um, little dispatches of dialogue between those two, won't there? Uh, look, Michael, I've just done a quick bit of googling, and Thiago is still a potential for this game, but Liverpool are sweating on it. I think you have picked though one of the key uh, matchups. Uh, of course, Van Dijk um, considered one of, the, if not the greatest. Um, defender in world football right now and coming up against a red hot Benzema I think I think that has got to be one of the uh, one of the key clashes of storage and what about Mo Salah I mean he's uh, he's struggling with a complaint at the moment so there is a little bit of doubt over him but um, surely there's redemption on his mind 
Derek, you wanted to touch on Rangers. They've been highly, highly competitive this uh, this season. They missed the league title in, a, in another year. They might have well won it for the second time. They lost the Europa League final in pretty tough circumstances, got all the way to penalties and were worth uh, more than their, their sold in that one. But they did get the Scottish Cup. They got at least one bit of silverware this season with a 2-0 uh, win over Hearts in extra time last Saturday, our time. Yeah, I just wanted to flag this one. We didn't get to Rangers uh, in the podcast last week because they were playing that evening in the uh, in the Europa League final and, and a lot of pain there from that game. They had a fantastic opportunity to win it with the, in the dying embers of uh, extra time and Ryan Kent just couldn't put the ball home. It was a bit like Gaza for England in Euro 96 against the Germans. It's not quite making the right contact to get to get the ball in and of course Aaron Ramsey brought on to to take a penalty missed a penalty and that debate rumbles on about you know we think about Mark Noble and other players that have been brought on specifically for penalties and not converting with their legs still cold and maybe just not getting the feel of the ball or the atmosphere uh, on on the night um I I would have thought he was the man for the occasion he's a cool customer but he he missed and they were devastated um that would have that would have put them in the, not just in the Champions League, but that would have put them as a first seed in the Champions League group stages. What a luxury that would have been for a, a Scottish Premier League team. But Frankfurt will will go on. And that is a fantastic story in itself, not not a fancied German team. But they dusted themselves up and won, won the Scottish Cup. Their goals from Ryan Jack and Scott Wright did that for them against uh, Hearts. And look, I think Giovanni van Bronckhorst, given what he came into post-Gerrard, uh, having you know defending that title, um, I know they were quite a few points ahead, and 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 obviously Ange did a great job overhauling that. But I think Ange has got a great foil in Giovanni van Bronckhurst. I've obviously got a spot for soft spot for him. Edge and I will have being an ex Arsenal player as well. He did a pretty good job for the Gunners uh, as a utility right left back amongst other things. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think watching him and Ange dueling in uh, the SPL. Uh, will will be a, a key feature of next season for sure. Let's bring it back home with a little bit of A-League. Michael Scott Jamison, uh, you wanted to touch on him. He, of course, missed the grand final a couple of seasons ago uh, as his wife gave birth to a child when they lost that one to uh, Sydney FC. He was on the pitch last year to win the uh, the toilet seat, but he's found himself in the same situation again. There was a great quote from him this week. I don't know what it is about me in the finals, games and babies, but uh, you alluded to it. Um, in fact, um, Scott's wife was due to have her baby on grand final day, but uh, uh, his new child came a little early and... Last Saturday, uh, his second child was born, uh, conveniently well ahead of the second league win over Adelaide in the grand final of the weekend. But uh, we just wanted to raise that, that it's great news that uh, Scott Jemison now, is, uh, his family's growing and um, he'll be able to uh, comfortably uh, change the nappies and, uh, and rock his baby to sleep as uh, suitable preparation for the big game on the weekend. Fourth official's given us two more minutes, guys. Derek, I've got two quick points for you uh, without notice. The first one is you mentioned him. Did you want to have a word for, for Mark Noble? He, in many ways, uh, to me, embodies the best of what loyalty and football's about. Uh, hometown hometown player, gave his all for many years, has seen it right through to the uh, the bitter end, staggeringly never played for England at any point, which I find strange, but you were probably watching him a little bit closer than I uh, than I was. So was that justified that he never quite made it into the three lines shirt? And uh, and how do you reflect on his career? Oh, yeah. Mark Noble, obviously one of the players that I would have still seen. I've been in Australia for eight years now. So, yeah, I would have watched with Mark Noble. And, yeah, the, the archetype, archetypal one-club man, 
you don't really see that anymore in the local one club man as well so as you said he embodies uh west ham united um he, he's obviously with them through a tricky period when they moved to the new stadium as well and let's let's remember prior to david Moyes' second spell at the club um, they were really struggling with that with that um, new stadium. The fans weren't happy, uh, and Mark Noble kind of rode that out and, and got them, you know, to the cusp of European glory this season. And obviously, we've seen some of the um, the pictures coming out of West Ham that Mark Noble still uh, leaves the uh, leaves the, uh, the, tra- the training ground, or so leaves the changing room after a game in a suit. And he sweeps up the change room because he doesn't feel like the, the cleaners should come in and have to clean up all the crap that the players leave behind. So well done, Mark Noble. That's a stunning career. Yes, probably difficult to get into the England squad at the best of times. He would have been coming up against the tail end of the kind of Gerard Lampard era and then this new era under Gareth Southgate where youth has been given a chance. So, um, yeah, he probably just didn't quite get his eras right from an England point of view, but a, a great career and I'm sure we'll see him about the place. Oh, I think he's got a coaching uh, career written all over him, hasn't he? Yeah, future West Ham manager for sure. And you've been a proud Western United man since day one, Derek, into the grand final this weekend? Yeah, absolutely. And look, if I wasn't for the fact that I'm looking, I'm a solo dad this weekend, I would, of course, be down there at Amy Park uh, cheering on John Aloisi's, uh, you know, green and black army. But uh, I'll just have to watch it on Paramount with like everybody else. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing them pick up their first piece of silverware, Willem. Any chance of Balotelli into the green and black next year? I'd love to see Balotelli in the green and black. I think he'd be a great fit for 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 them. And look, he's currently playing his football at uh, uh, Adana Demirspor. And I shared a goal with the WhatsApp group listeners during the week. And it's just pure Balotelli, eight step overs before a Rabona. <laughs> A Rabona into the far corner. Um, I'm going to try and going to try and emulate that in my local Hillsville futsal uh, next week. Although I suspect I might do a cruciate ligament trying. That Derek, was one of the great I'll, goals. One of the great, great goals. Goal. It was it was a great goal. But Derek, I want to see a uh, Instagram or Twitter or Facebook image of you painting your fence black and green ahead of this weekend's grand final, please. Yeah, I will do. It's a very, uh, it's a very high traffic area, so pl- plenty of people will get to see my uh, green and black fence for sure. But uh, you know, come, come on, United! Um, I'll be very interested to see how they go. Derek, thank you for your contributions this week. All the best. Thank you. The rain stopped as well, just in time. <laughs> thank you to you as well, Michael. Obviously, uh, very exciting times for you over there in Bangkok, and then on to Doha to cheer on the Socceroos. Yeah, looking forward to seeing the Socceroos get the job done against UAE and then we'll have a massive, massive build-up to the Peru match. So all ahead for Australian football and uh, a great time to uh, re-engage with the world uh, around these intercontinental playoffs. So looking forward to hosting all of the Green and Gold Army tour guests um, and others uh, in uh, Doha. It's going to be an exciting exciting couple of games and uh, in one of those beautifully air-conditioned stadium. So we'll be nice and comfortable, Willem. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Damo, for pressing the buttons and keeping us on track as always. Thank you to Dylan Wenzel-Halls. Thank you to Martin Tyler. And thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in once again. Please subscribe to box to box wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. And join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.